This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive on fighting games, a genre that brings out our competitive spirit like no other. But before that, here's a look back at some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and of Neil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Let's go through some headlines uh, from this week. Let's start with another Activision Blizzard update as the investigations into the toxic culture at the company is ongoing following the lawsuit from the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. So three more high-profile developers have left the company since, according to Game Informer, the developers are Diablo 4 game director Luis Barriga, lead designer Jesse McCree and World of Warcraft developer Jonathan LaCraft have all left the company. Activision Blizzard's spokesperson has confirmed the news and these three individuals have had their details removed from the official Blizzard press page, as well as the company's studio work assets such as Slack and the internal directory. Bariga has been a long-time employee of the company, having been there since 2005 and has worked on a few high-profile IPs under Blizzard, with the most recent one being Diablo 4. McCree joined almost at the same time as Bariga and has even had his name included in one of the characters in Overwatch. These departures came on the back of earlier high-profile departures, including the resignation of Blizzard Entertainment President J. Allen Breck and HR lead Jesse Meschuk. A lot of records on employees and former employees sharing their accounts and experiences being part of the company, and its toxic culture has also surfaced a lot more as the fallout continues. Alright, moving on. Remedy Entertainment's third-person action-adventure has more than 10 million players now as Remedy started production on a new big-budget game with Epic Games. This was announced in an investor letter released a couple of weeks ago together with a slew of other info. Uh, This includes controls performances for the past year with the report revealing that the game performed better in Q2 2021 compared to the same time last year. Uh, Remedy attributed this to the studio's commitment in continuously marketing this game, as well as the launch of Control Ultimate Edition on Google Stadia, on top of its inclusion in the Epic Game Store Mega Sale 2021. Condor, a new cooperative PvE game set in the world of Control, has also been solidified via their cooperation with 505 Games. Yep, they're also working on multiple other games, totaling at around six based on the report, and uh, some fans out there are hoping that the big-budget game that uh, they're working on is probably related or a direct sequel to Alan Wake. But will that be the case? Let's wait and see. Okay, moving on. Konami will be releasing Castlevania Grimoire of Souls, a mobile version of the franchise that was previously only available in Canada, to the Apple Arcade very soon. The game will feature familiar characters that you love from the franchise, including Alucard, Simon and Maria, with character designs and music from series creators Ayami Kojima and Michiru Yamane. The game was previously announced for the iOS in 2018, and after a closed beta Japanese release, the game was launched in Canada on both iOS and Android, though it lasted only for a year, without any actual global release. Right, and for now, this is the latest Castlevania game that's been available since the last one Lots of the Shadow 2 back in 2014. We also had a Netflix adaptation of the franchise which had concluded earlier this year after four seasons with another show on its way apparently. So if you need a fix of Castlevania, there's always the Netflix show or you can also subscribe to Apple Arcade and give Grimoire of Souls a try. 
Now, speaking of Netflix adaptations, the trend continues with Monster Hunter also releasing another animation adaptation to the streaming platform. Mm-hmm. Monster Hunter Legends of the Guild was released on the 12th of August and will not be uh, in any way related to the live-action version that was released last year. Legends of the Guild will feature a character called Aiden and a group of fellow hunters as they protect Aiden's village from a fearsome elder dragon. Unlike the live-action version, this movie will follow the story of the Monster Hunter world more closely. Of course, Monster Hunter is a very popular franchise and now you have multiple ways to immerse yourself in the lore better. Well, that's all we have for this week's recap. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Ofnil. Moving on, yesterday was the last day of EVO 2021 Online, a prestigious international fighting game tournament featuring games such as Guilty Gear Strive, Mortal Kombat 11, Street Fighter 5, Tekken 7, and many more. It got us thinking about the fighting game genre and why people love playing it. So it's a perfect time to take a look at the genre and how the scene is like then and now. Joining me to do this is a fighting game fan and content director at kakuchopure.com, Jonathan Liu. First up, let's go back to the beginning, John. Tell me it's history? Wow, that's a very tough question. So thanks for opening up with that. Uh, basically, it, the history of fighting games before Street Fighter 2, which was the most popular one that cemented the genre, the 2D fighting game genre, was actually in the late 70s and early 80s with arcade games and yeah, basically arcade games like Warrior, Year Air Kung Fu, Kageki, Violent Fight, and even the original Street Fighter from Capcom back in the 80s. Most of these games got the versus element down pat, but not the correct perspective, the button, the controls, the input layouts, the system of health and timing, you know, like the timer, the countdown timer, special moves, and all the other nuances that make what fighting games are right now. So the universal version of a 2D fighting game was established by Street Fighter 2 in 1991. Because of that game, that breakthrough hit game, I believe Capcom made iterations of Street Fighter 2 from Dash, Turbo, all the way to Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which is the de facto version of Street Fighter 2, to even competitors coming in and making their own arguably better fighting game, like SNK with Fatal Fury and the King of Fighters series, and Midway with, of course, Mortal Kombat 1 and 2, which we've discussed Like early on this show, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, like uh, based on the history, I guess uh, these games were popularized during the arcade uh, period, right? Yep, from the 1991 all the way to late 90s, where it kind of went to a deep slumber. Like there are a lot of underground people playing and competing in Street Fighter Three tournaments and so forth, but it's very, very niche until the resurgence in 2008, which we'll probably touch upon later. Mm. Um, so, was it responsible in, uh, I guess, to a certain extent, popularizing gaming as well? Oh, it is very important to gaming. Like, a lot of friends I know in Asia, Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, they all started playing video games because of Street Fighter 2 or Fatal Fury or the King of Fighters 94, the very first King of Fighters game. Like, anything from SNK, from Samurai Showdown, to even the Capcom stuff from Street Fighter, Darkstalkers, and Rival Schools, they all got their love because of these fighting games from Capcom, even down to even Bandai Namco's uh, 3D games and Sega's Virtua Fighter, where everyone just gravitated towards the colorful characters and the setting and the fighting mechanics. Because, like, again, fighting games scratch that itch of being competitive with people because sometimes it's fun to f- play single player, but you want that human competitive element where you want that one person next to you you want to fight and beat and also improve and fight again, you know? Like, There's a sense of achievement when you're like the only guy who is beating 
foes and opponents left and right. Being the one guy with that one 20 cent or 50 cent coin or one dollar coin playing on that Street Fighter Alpha 2 cabinet, fighting everyone like in like maybe for an hour or two, like defeating 30, 40 opponents left and right. So you see that score like on that fighting game screen, you know, like it's on the left, you see like win by 30, win by 40, you'd be like, that's the guy you got to beat or that's the guy you got to practice against to beat, you know? It brings out that competitive element and that old school element where games, you need to learn to be good. In this kind of games, you got to practice and wake up early. Go to the arcade first to play these games. Or better yet, just buy the console and play the ports of those arcade games. Mm. So I guess back then, um, unlike these days where I think gaming has become a bit more personalized, you know, people can just either do it via their mobile phones or they can just play at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, you have to actually yeah, go to the arcade and spend time there, you know, practicing, right? Yeah, it's the only way to play these games because back then, there weren't any consoles or machines that can replicate the one-to-one arcade experience. Like, yes, the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation have those games, but they either come with compromises in animations or compromises in long, longer load times. So if you want to play the ultimate version of a fighting game, you just got to go to the arcades. Like, I remember back in Malaysia, it was probably Sungai Wang. Yeah, I think it's just Sungai Wang. Like, this is like the biggest one that I've been to the most times. Like, I will just drive down or take the bus down to Laoyat or to Bukit Bintang just to play those. Uh, I think it was Alpha 1, Alpha 2, Alpha 3, uh, and Darkstalkers 3, which was actually my favorite because it actually brought in all those monsters from the Universal Pictures monster universe, like, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, and the Wolfman as fighting game characters. It was pretty fun. It was a nice time back then. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned uh, how, I guess, um, it was um, one of the ways people started becoming a bit more competitive when it comes to games, right? Uh, I'm sure um, there are, I guess, official tournaments, fighting game uh, tournaments, but uh, at the same time, it's also one of those moments, you know, social moments where, you know, uh, someone will just, you know, come up to you and just, you know, insert the coin and you'll know you, you'll have a challenger, right? What was yeah. it like? You know, I've never been a part of that experience, maybe once or twice. <laughs> now that I remember it, once or twice, I know I've been challenged, quote unquote, you know, when I was playing, but I will always lose. But what was, what was that scene like? You know, I've never been... A part of it actually so yeah maybe you can describe you know how people can get super competitive you know when they're just casually playing uh, in the arcade well my memory is a bit hazy in like the 90s to 2000s because at the time it was like me like it was like on and off kind of thing relationship for me until i got my own playstation one and you know a personal computer but in the resurgence when street fighter 4 came out i was there in the scene when singapore because I was working in Singapore for the past 10 years from 2008 onward in a bunch of publications here and there. And I was basically covering the fighting game scene in Singapore. I actually saw it grow from being like a tiny grassroots thing to like the international organization competition that it is right now. Because Singapore back then in 2008 onward had had groups like Round 1, SG, SG Fighters, Tough Cookie versus Asia. The names are different, but the players are almost in the same group of people and clicks. And it was quite a rollercoaster ride. You see a lot of people who are just gathering and sharing techniques and trying to beat other people to get better in the arcades. And then it gravitated towards consoles for the Xbox 360 and the PS3 because it was cheaper to get those consoles from 2009 onward. And plus, a lot of Capcom game developers, all those fighting game developers were putting all the games onto the consoles more than in the arcades, except when you're in Japan, where you kind of have to do both. So yeah, all these tournaments in Singapore that I was involved in, like either competing or helping out a little bit, 
they started out small, you know, like, but they were very loyal to a fault where a lot of the same faces will show up in hardware, you know, hardware store openings and they have a fighting game tournament for some reason. And even some cyber cafes host these kind of fighting games. And then it became like a major games tournament in 2000. 10, 11 onward with major tournaments like the Southeast Asian Majors, which I helped a bit with commentating as well as, you know, get it started by introducing them to Capcom and PlayStation in 2010 before they got the ball rolling by themselves. So it's actually good to see something that you sort of helped out grow. I mean, I can't take all the credit, but at the same time, I did nudge like these guys to, to basically just talk to them. And, you know, I back then when I was working in GameSpot, Asia, I was actually highlighting and spotlighting some of the top fighters like Zian and Gact in Singapore. So, I mean, they obviously did most of the work, so I just gave them a bit of a nudge or so. So in a sense, being involved in that community was really fun because you get to see all types of characters but who are competitive, who are shy, who, I mean, you got some oddballs here and there, but at the same time, it's a very colourful and exciting group la, that, you know, I had to grow out of because I got... You know, I have to run the website, right, at the, t- at the time. But it's nice to see them grow. But that's from my perspective. But on Malaysia's side, I only found out that, yeah, the scene has been growing for quite a while with Flash Vision and Infinite Carnage actually keeping the fighting game communities active on their respective ends in Malaysia since. Mostly from the Klang region, but they also got like some Kuching folks and folks in Johor who are trying to keep it alive too, up till today. It's crazy. Like, you could say they're colourful to the point where there are even some fights that break out. But for the most parts, everyone do their competitive moments. In There's a bit of drama here and there, of course, which I won't go into detail. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who really stuck through thin and thin to make these tournaments work up till today, where I heard that the Versus Asia guys are actually hosting tournaments for even the American partners for Capcom and EVO and so forth and so forth, like doing the live streams. Like, they're the unofficial guys who actually help behind the scenes, which is pretty cool in that sense. Mm, It's interesting that you brought it up because I think to a certain extent, of course, you know, our kids don't really have the best of, I guess, perception, just like cyber cafes, uh, especially here in Malaysia. Yeah, there are some bad apples, but generally, if you know the right crowd, they know how to behave, yeah, per se. They want to make sure that this scene stays healthy and, you know, keep a good image. They try their best. So I emphasize on the keyword try. <laughs> okay, bad dramas do happen. It does happen. I mean, in any group, it's just that, you know, sometimes because of the whole bad rap with arcades, like having people dropping out of school and all that, it's, again, it's a bit of a myth, but at the same time, I've heard some sad stories where people get addicted to this, to this sort of things, but the same can be said for gambling or even any other activity you do too much, like even sports or gymnastics and whatnot. That was Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchupore.com and we've been talking about the fighting game genre. Let's go for a short break. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to GG Well Played. I'm your host, Hanif Baharudin. We're talking about fighting games in this episode and joining me to help share his knowledge on them is Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchupore.com. We've covered the history of how the scene developed back then and now we're going to talk about input methods. Is it better to play fighting games using joysticks or gamepads? John shares his thoughts. That's the beauty right now. Like In this decade, we're in a beautiful age where it doesn't really matter because all games, whether it's Street Fighter V or... King of Fighters, uh, King of Fighters 14, and Guilty Gear Strive, they can 
except like joysticks, joypads, even a hitbox, which is a keyboard, joystick hybrid, or even a keyboard, actual keyboard, or even a fishing controller to play fighting games now. Like back in the 90s, it was tougher because those cabinets are preset with joysticks. So that's the only way you could play fighting games proper, especially in tournaments. But from 2008 onward, people are more open to using different input methods, be it gamepads with six buttons in the front, or even like your regular DualShock PlayStation controller, or even your Xbox controller, or even a joystick that you spend probably a thousand RM on. It doesn't really matter as long as you're comfortable with it. It all depends on what you've been used to back then. So personally, I've been playing on gamepads, like on the Sega Saturn gamepad, and on controllers that have six face buttons in the front and trigger buttons at the back. So that's my preferred input. But I can use joysticks, but I'm more comfortable. I'm more like 100% if I play on a gamepad. So it's basically up to you what you're comfortable with and how much you're willing to spend and how much you're willing to learn the nuances of playing on a controller and joystick. Because if you're just buying a joystick for the sake of playing on a joystick, that's a lot of muscle memory you have to learn all over again, you know? Like, a good example is like, if you're playing basketball, right? you're already used to dribbling and, you know, throwing the ball around and doing dunks and whatnot. Suddenly, you change to playing football, you have to now learn muscle memory for your feet. That's the same idea, like playing from gamepad to joystick or if you use a joystick, you're playing on a gamepad straight away, you know. That's that kind of thing. You have to learn a whole new set of muscle memory skills, which is very tough. So my only advice here is basically stick to what you know and what you're already used to, whether it's a joystick or a joypad or even a fishing controller. (laughs) So unlike the FPS scene where a lot of people swear by, you know, keyboard and mouse as the more superior, I guess, input or way of playing FPS, um, there's no such thing as, you know, a joystick having more of an advantage when it comes to fighting games. It's a little debatable, but it's all for personal preference. A lot of people did say that the hitbox controller actually can do well for certain charge characters like Guile. For I remember a pro player, Daigo Umehara from Japan, he now swears by the hitbox because of how it inputs. Like Hitbox is basically like, instead of a joystick as your directional input, you use like a numerical keypad basically for your movement. So it feels, so instead of using your, your arms, your, your wrists, you're actually using your fingers to do the inputs, if that makes sense. <laughs> like a keyboard, you know, a keyboard, keyboard you use your fingers, right? So basically, it's like a joystick for your fingers instead of like your wrist. I see. All right. But, but there's no clear advantage. Like. No clear advantage. What you're used to is what you're going to be using. Yeah. Each of the controller inputs or methods have their own advantages and disadvantages. It's what you're used to that will take you far in the head. Yeah. And speaking of inputs, uh, for people who are not as familiar, and because they tend to just observe, right, they would assume that, you know, sometimes fighting games is more about, uh, can be a bit more button mashy a bit, right, if you think about it. Uh, is that actually the case? Like, is it true that uh, in order for you to master fighting games, you just have to mash your way, button mash your way around? Or does it actually take skill and technique and even memorization to actually be able to master fighting games properly? Oh my, yes. Skill and execution is very important if you want to be like in the top tiers of a fighting game tournament scene. See, if you button mash and you get hit while sticking out an attack, you get hit and be in a counter-attack state where your opponent will be at a huge advantage and do combos and big damage to you that they normally couldn't when they hit you normally. So yes, you can still play casually button mashing in Tekken 7. But if you do this online in a ranked match against a higher tier player, you'll either get parried heavily or just get countered and getting punished for pulling out all these unsafe attacks you'll be mashing out. The skills you require to play really well are very numerous. 
you need to know your character's best normal moves, your best special moves that either start or end a combo string. You know, like a combo where you do a bunch of attacks for big damage and then there's like a five hit or six hit combo, right? And your character's strength, and you also need to figure out your character's strengths and weaknesses. Because characters in fighting games, they're divided in different archetypes. Like you've got your all-rounder Shoto characters who are characters with anti-air, a projectile move, and a horizontal distance covering move. You also got your rushdown characters who are, you know, like the speed demons. Your grapplers, they've got huge hit points. They do big damage, but they're very slow. As well as zoners who are basic characters who are weak from up close, but they do very well from far away, like Dawson in Street Fighter. You need to know the characters in the game you're playing in the roster and what they do, what the weaknesses and the strengths are. So that when you pick a character that you're used to, you get to navigate around the different matchups, whether you're good or bad at these things. You also need to understand the game's universal mechanics, like how the game handles overhead moves, where basically you have to block high from certain attacks. You have to figure out the game's combo system and how you actually gain meter, like resources, so that you can actually pull off game-changing moves on your end. You also need to learn like what combos to what, what moves to go to where, you know, like how to cancel moves, where basically when you do one move, you can cancel it to either a special or normal move. You kind of need to understand how those game mechanics work, as well as your defensive options and a lot more, depending on the game you're playing and trying to master. And here's the scary part. It's actually just the tip of the iceberg if you want to go pro. So I don't want to scare anyone off, basically. But if you play casually, yes, you can button mash your way through. But to be the best, like, you know, like the absolute best, like in Japan and in Malaysia and in Southeast Asia and America, you need to learn all those things I just mentioned and then some and do more of your research as well as practice and do the whole muscle memory training thing. I hope I didn't scare you off, though, for fighting games. But that's how it is, lah. I mean, if you want to actually go pro, that's like, there's playing for fun, which is fine, yes. But going pro, that's a whole different ball game in terms of skills and whatnot. So fighting games are like chess matches, except the chess pieces actually shoot out fireballs and do fancy moves that defy gravity. That's an interesting way to describe it. Uh, the I guess the fun is in in executing all these uh, moves, you know, special moves and whatnot. Uh, but at the same time, it depends on, also on the kind of games on offer, right? And I think uh, the most popular one is obviously Street Fighter, and it's the most universally popular in pop culture. Yeah. But there are also other uh, franchises that are as popular as well, right? Uh, so maybe you can perhaps, you know, share the history of all these franchises. I think we've done Mortal Kombat before. I think we've spoken about Mortal Kombat before. But yep, we have. Yeah, well, what about the other franchises that are, I guess, as important in, in elevating the, the fighting game scene? I guess right now, at, in, within the past 10 years, uh, we've got Street Fighter Four that actually started the fighting game resurgence. You've got the King of Fighters series that's basically making sure that Capcom does a great job because it's competition. They've actually teamed up together in a fighting game called Capcom vs. SNK and SNK vs. Capcom back in the 2000 era. But SNK, they're now doing just fine with King of Fighters 14 and Samurai Showdown. And now they're going to gear up for the release of King of Fighters 15, which is, I believe, coming out next year. That, that series is important. And so is uh, the Guilty Gear series, which is basically catering towards the anime, combo-savvy, high-flying fighting game genre. Like that, that subsection in the genre. With the latest game being Guilty Gear Strive, which is right now the most accessible Guilty Gear game that you can actually jump on board right now. It came out in June. I'm uh, sorry, in July. Around June and July. So you can actually play this game like, it's still really fresh. So that's the best fighting game you can jump on right now that's really new. Right now, Street Fighter V is the fifth season and has been around for five plus years. And so has Tekken 7, which is actually the biggest 3D fighting game right now. 
both have been updated frequently with season passes and new characters, especially Street Fighter Five. I believe there are new characters like Oro and rival schools like Kira coming on, like as soon as this podcast is published. I would suggest also jumping on board these games, but just a bit of a warning. You're going to be fighting against people online who have been playing this game for five years, so just be careful right there. For like the most accessible fighting game right now that's really young, with a lot of fresh players who are just learning the ins and outs of the mechanics, Guilty Gear Strive is the best game to jump on board right now. Mm. As with you know a lot of other uh, other games out there, other uh, IPs out there, you also have people who eventually get deeper into into the game's lore and stories, right? Not not just you know playing the game for the sake of playing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People like, that's also the great thing about finding games. They have like an actual story that happens behind the scenes. When you finish the single player modes for Dark Stalkers. Uh, Vampire Savior, Street Fighter, and even King of Fighters, that's actually a story that plays out when you play the canon team that you use or the characters that you know, who are the heroes of the stories. They got their own stories that happens at the end when you finish the game. So people don't play fighting games just for the mechanics, but they also play it because of the characters they love, the setting that they're in. Street Fighter is super popular because people can relate to a character like Ryu, Ken, Chun-Li, Guile, or even M. Bison, or all the different colorful cast of characters, like how they play, how they look, how they fight, and their personalities. I mean, personally, I do play Street Fighter V a lot because of the character named Birdie. He's like a big, fat, slovenly British guy with a cool mohawk, and he's got that chain moves and everything. And I like his fighting game movesets. And also, I do like characters like Laura. Like, she's actually a really cool Brazilian character who shoots lightning and does a little bit of a rushdown grapple playstyle. And of course, there's Chun-Li and Ken and Ryu. Like, even King of Fighters, you got like different characters like Kyo Kusunagi and Iori Yagami, whom my little sister also likes a lot too because of the way he looks. And he's got that cool, affable, also kind of like a bad boy personality going on, as well as all the other colorful characters like Ryo, uh, Kim, Kapwan, and also Mai Shiranui and Yui. There's a two, there are too many characters and too many backstories. Like, it's just colorful. It's got that really colorful universe going on and each of the characters are just designed in a very eccentric, out-of-this-world, yet grounded fashion, if that makes sense. So yeah, people do gravitate towards these fighting games because of the, the look, the graphics, the aesthetic, the art style, and the world that it's all set in. I think that's also why people love Guilty Gear a lot, especially Guilty Gear Strive, because it is beautiful to look at. I mean, yes, it's really fun to play too, but again, when you, from a spectator standpoint, you'd be like, wow, this is anime, it looks good, it's stylish, slick, and the music's also pretty awesome too if you're into rock and roll, you know. So all these elements, as well as the great gameplay mechanics, actually all culminate to a really great fighting game experience for both casual and competitive players alike. So that's what I really like about fighting games. Like, in my mind, it actually brings all the best of gamers together in a competitive and a friendly, competitive spirit fashion because of all these things I mentioned. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, Guilty Gear Strive because that game is still done in 2D, right? Um, and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you know, when fighting games first came out, um, it was mostly in 2D. And then, of course, you know, as games evolved into 3D, fighting games tried to evolve as well. How did they try and adopt? Uh, because I think I've seen attempts by Street Fighter and even uh, King of Fighters to have a 3D version, but then they eventually reverted. And, you know, now they're like in a bit in between. But then at the same time, you have like different uh, fighting games like Tekken and Virtual fighters that that started out as 3d fighting games right uh, so uh was there ever like uh, i guess 
a debate or like a like a struggle between the two like is there like a like a preference between like oh a 2D fighting game versus a 3D fighting game and and whatnot yeah um there is a preference because both a 2D and a 3D fighting game have different um, mechanics you have to keep in mind where a 2D fighter you just have to worry about the x and the y axis in 3D fighting games you also got sidestepping and you've got like um yeah and attacks that actually home in on different sides and you know you also got to worry about the z axis as well so games like Tekken and Virtual Fighter, like when you play it at a high level, you need to know how to block certain things. You need to know what actually you can sidestep from and how you can backdash. And oh yeah, and in 3D fighting games, there's also like a wall and a ring out system where you can actually knock people out of the ring to score a win. So that's also other strategies. Apart from whittling your opponent's life to zero, you can just knock them out of the ring, like in Virtual Fighter and Soul Calibur to score a point. So that's also one mechanic to also keep in mind too. So I believe, yeah, it's mostly preferences because of like, you have to enter two different mind states when you play one on the other. Like some strategies in 2D fighting games can be different, are different than in 3D fighting games. That's why there's a bit of like, you gotta, if you want to pick one, you gotta commit to one. You cannot switch back and forth unless you compromise the other. So you gotta basically know how each of them works lah. I see. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I think like 2D fighting games are by by virtue of its animation can be much more fast-paced, right? Compared to 3D fighting games. 3D games can also be fast-paced. Dead or Alive is a very good example where everyone's doing a ton of damage and combo strings are just, just happen like that. Like they're very short, sweet and, and people do a lot of damage. And you've also got the counter system which is universal for every character in Dead or Alive. So these games go by really fast. Tekken is technically slow in a sense in that regard. And even to an extent, maybe even Virtual Fighter. But although the latest Virtual Fighter, which is Virtual Fighter Ultimate Showdown, seems everything ends really fast, if you, especially if you're playing at a high level. So it really depends on who you're playing with and how the fights go. Mm. You alluded to this earlier, but you said that fighting games went through a resurgence, right? Meaning that at one point, uh, it became less popular? Oh, it, it was half dead, basically, from... 2000 and 2007 because people were gravitating towards shooters like Half-Life, Counter-Strike, Call of Duty Modern Warfare and onwards and basically Quake to an Unreal Tournament. So that's why fighting games took a backseat. But how did it come back then? Uh, aside from the games that you mentioned that you credited, how did it become popular again? Oh, um, I think it's, of course, apart from Street Fighter 4 actually bringing back 2D fighting games in a very nice 3D fashion. Like, it's 3D graphics, but it's still 2D fighting. I believe they also came back because of the community who basically took a break from fighting games. They play a little bit here and there. And then when they see Street Fighter 4 back and being popularized by Capcom and in pop culture, this was something they want to jump on board because they're experts in the field. So, like I mentioned before, I did help the Singapore tournament organizers a little bit back then before they took things to their own accord and stride and their own way of doing things and yeah it actually grew to something healthy right now i actually attribute all this to the community who actually did a great job in keeping the spirit of fighting games alive from 2008 till now like in malaysia i believe it's still going on right now as we speak because you've got infinite carnage who are Basically, they're active since when Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out. Like, I believe that was around 2010-11. Uh, 
And up till now, they've been basically hosting different tournaments and matches. I believe they're having something coming up. I believe they're having an Animangaki cage match 5v5 exhibition match featuring Guilty Gear Strive. As well as a few tournaments, side tournaments featuring Guilty Gear Strive, Tekken 7, and Hiso Ten Soku, another fighting game that's very uncommon. That's happening on the 20th to 22nd August. And also the group is also doing another part, like uh, they're part of the Vortex Gallery fighting game online tournament in September. And they're going to be hosting and arranging the Mobile Suit Gundam Extreme versus Maxi Boost on fighting game tournament in September. And yeah, I know Gundam has a fighting game. Who, who knew, right? <laughs> and also because of the top players who are basically doing their best to be like the, the best they are in competing, that also helps in, you know, keeping the fighting game communities alive and kicking in different regions in Asia, especially. So yeah, South Asia itself has many top players. I mean, there are a lot, but off the top of my head, there's like Book, who is a really pro player in Tekken 7 from Thailand. There's AK and Jules for Philippines for Tekken 7. Um, Zian from Singapore, he's really good at Street Fighter 5 and Street Fighter 4 back in the day, and as well as King of Fighters. I am Chuan is also like top Malaysian player for Street Fighter 5. Uh, also, DR Fierce, he's also one of the top players for Guilty Gear and Guilty Gear Strive. As well as um, SEO, who's a very top player from Singapore, who's also really good with anime fighters and Guilty Gear Strive. Those are the top players I know at the top of my head who are basically helping out their own, their respective communities, but also doing their best to be the best in, you know, fighting game Asia history, lah, and, you know, rising the ranks and whatnot. Mm. It sounds like um, the scene has always been there and the community has always been there. But how are they uh, like in the age where esports has become a bit more prominent and popular? Are they um, um, well supported by, by you know, relevant bodies, you know, uh, sponsors and whatnot? Um, they have sponsors. I mean, most of the ones that are happening, but they're not as big compared to like your mobile games, like as well as your mobile action titles. As far as, as I know... The esports folks, the sponsors and communities, as much as I like fighting games, I know that they're getting like the short end of the stick. Especially when, put yourself in the sponsor's shoes. Like, if they had to choose between like a very popular, big, returns-friendly tournament like a Mobile Legends tournament or support a Street Fighter V tournament which has like just a good amount of people but not as much as a Mobile Legends tournament, of course they're going to go for the bigger tournament, which is a bit sad. But it's expected. Lah. I mean, yes, there are still major tournaments like EVO Online happening. And even Japan also have a bunch of... Uh, even Red Bull are hosting like Kumite tournaments with the right amount of sponsorships here and there, as well as Intel. But it's both, this is mostly from the outside of Malaysia, outside of Asia spectrum. Uh, I mean, outside of like Southeast Asia spectrum. In terms of like Southeast Asia, it's still predominantly dominated. It's still predominantly run by... MOBAs and shooters, like I believe Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, but mostly MOBAs, like your Mobile Legends and your League of Legends Wild Rift. Mm. Moving on, like for listeners out there who like to give uh, fighting games a try, especially now, um, what are some of the games that you can recommend? Uh, you've recommended, I think, Guilty Gear Strive, but other yep. than that, you know, are there any other games that they can play? And should they also go for the classics, you know, the older games? Actually, if you want to actually learn how fighting games got their roots. Like the very first, if you want to see like how competitive fighting games got to the peak, you should play Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which is like the most definitive, this is like the definitive version of Street Fighter 2 that you can find. 
And yes, you can actually explore this through Fightcade. Like, it's actually an online service where you can play these fighting games online, these retro fighting games online. You can actually just go to Fightcade's website and just figure out how to do things from there. But generally, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo is where it's at when you, if you want to learn like the bit, like the definitive fighting game experience. And then you can also check out older games like Darkstalkers, Rival Schools, and maybe the older King of Fighters, and even Samurai Showdown 2 and 4 and Samurai Showdown 5 uh, Special and a bunch of others. But for right now, like if you need to dedicate your time to just one fighting game right now, it's definitely Guilty Gear Strive at this point in time. Street Fighter V, yes, and Tekken 7, yes, you can jump on board those games. But again, you're going to fight people with five, six years plus of experience. So just keep that in mind. And you're going to take a lot of losses in that game. And you definitely should play against others. Lah. Play yes, yes. Player, I mean, right? yes, you can play it casually or with friends and family in the same offline space. Because, I don't know, lah, I mean, online infrastructures for fighting games has been very spotty. I mean, yes, there's actually rollback technology that actually makes it better, like in Guilty Gear Strive. But by and large, fighting games are a unique breed. I mean, this is why I think people prefer going to mobile tournaments more because mobile companies already have their online infrastructure sorted out compared to fighting games where they're still trying to bicker which is like the definitive online netcode infrastructure they need to use to play online. As well, I mean, as you know, right now COVID's happening, so it's a bit hard for people to actually play offline together in like in the same space right now. So fighting games are taking a hit because fighting games need a lot of precision. That's why the best experience in a tournament is to play it offline. So playing online, yes, even the slightest bit amount of lag can throw off people's combos because a lot of pro players, they rely on like one split second frame to actually perform certain specific combos to win. So to have online hampering that experience will will anger a lot of pro players, lah, which I've noticed as of late. I think Punk is actually the biggest, uh, the most popular example of this, where he basically wants to say, he says no to Street Fighter V's online play because it's terrible. And he's the best fighting game player in the world so far, lah, one of the best. So to have him complain about like the online code speaks volume to what Capcom needs to do lah, to fix the online code. Lah. Mm, all right. Okay. So, um, any last words about fighting games? Do you think that it'll be here to stay? Uh, and w- will it regain its you know mass popularity again one day in the future? Um, yes. If you support tournaments like those Infinite Carnage tournaments I mentioned earlier on, yes, it will still you know stay supported and it'll still thrive on for years to come. Fighting games are still going to be around for a very long time because people still want to watch that competitive spirit tournament that goes on because watching a fighting game tournament with the commentators who know what they're talking about that is a really great experience so that you know what's going on but even if you're there to see the colorful action going on that's still fun in its own right which is why aesthetics in fighting games are very very important just as important as the mechanics in the fighting game like matches go by really fast and they can get really technical like they'll like you need you need a fighting game that can impress both like uh, people from a casual and competitive standpoint. Like people watch football games because you got casuals and experts watching it and enjoying it all the same, right? And they can boo and cheer at different things that happen, whether they're good or bad, right? So the same can be applied to fighting games. Like you want it to look really good. You want it to also play really well so that both the casuals and competitive players can watch and have fun. As well as have fun with the game, even 
outside the competitive spectrum. Like, play the single-player mode, go through the stories, check out what's going on with the characters and lore and practice on the side, as well as, you know, write fanfic or make funny videos on the characters or, you know, do some artwork here and there. Because that's the beauty of fighting games, like I mentioned. It's because of all these from the competitive and the casual standpoint that brings it all together. So I don't believe it's going to die off anytime soon because the world still needs games like Street Fighter and Guilty Gear and King of Fighters to, you know, to balance out, you know, all the different genre of games like from puzzles to even your shooters and even your MOBAs, right? You need different flavors and fighting game caters to that specific flavor too. You've been tuning in to GG Well Played and together with Jonathan Leo, content director at kakuchopori.com, we have unpacked the fighting game genre and how it has evolved over the years. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time, GG were played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.